I wonder if there is a passage of scripture that is more read and more quoted than Psalm 23. I would wager that with the exception of maybe John 3.16, thanks to um, way before Tim Tebow, whatever that guy was who would go to games and hold the sign up behind the end zone and then also Stone Cold Steve Austin a little bit later in the WWF, I would say Psalm 23 is the most well-known uh, chapter in scripture. I mean, I, I think every single funeral I've ever done, it's been requested. I think a lot of weddings, baptisms, greeting cards. It even, if you were paying close enough attention, shows up twice in the past two months in our lectionary readings. Lectionary, by the way, is a three-year cycle of scriptures that we follow. Twice. You might remember last time Charlie read it. We were upstairs. I know, but a little bit different, you'll notice. This is a passage of scripture that I have recited so many times that the physical page in my Bible is ripped and worn out. It's been kind of folded and torn. The page is thinner than the other pages. It feels like it might just fall out one of these days and I might need like a psalm supplement to shove in there. I feel like I have squeezed every little bit of juice there is out of this brief psalm. But yet, as my Jewish friends are uh, always ready to tell me that the scriptures are an infinite gift from an infinite God. So we should assume and expect that there is some new bit of wisdom for us every single time that we dive into it. That's why I used such an obscure and literal translation of it, by the way, today. Um, it may have thrown you off a little bit. This is Robert Alter. He's, he wrote a very, very literal translations um, that, are, that are excellent, I think. But I hope that this will speak to you in a new way today, as it did for me, because um, for the longest time, I thought that Psalm 23 was the go-to funeral passage because it's just so comforting, right? It's all about happy sheep and uh, shepherds and green pastures. It ends with that, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, which, you know, translation might be a bit of an issue there. But anyway, but I've come to realize that the true power of this story comes from its subtlety. From a little story that David is weaving, whether intentional or otherwise, he is in these brief couple of six verses weaving together, I think, kind of a universal story of faith. A three-act journey that anyone who takes their faith seriously has gone through at some point in their life. A journey from orientation to deorientation to reorientation. That's lifted straight from Richard Rohr. Orientation to deorientation to reorientation. Put another way, it's the story of a simple, childlike, naive faith that is challenged by trauma and emerges on the other side, having both transcended and included that childhood faith. Again, that's too heady. Let me show you where this story hits my own story. 
Um, I grew up in the church, and that's probably an understatement to say I grew up in the church. I may have well have had a bed in the church. Um, from the first day of preschool until the day I graduated seminary, I have never attended anything except for Christian schools. Every single waking moment. I don't even know what a public school looks like. <laughs> I mean, I do. I've been there. But... And then in the summer times, we would go to every single vacation Bible school that was offered in the area. My church, the church down the street. There was even a woman in our neighborhood who had her own vacation Bible school in her driveway, and we went to that one. I'm telling you, I never, ever was without church, was without Christianity. I don't know when the first time somebody mentioned God to me was. I don't know when I first learned about God, learned about church. This is just as fundamental to me as gravity, as the sky being blue and the grass being green. It's just a thing that is. And I believed that God loved me, that God was watching over me, and that God would give me every single thing I needed if I just asked for it, or at least asked in the right way. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In grassy meadows, he makes me to lie down. By quiet waters, he guides me. My life, he brings back. It's a different translation. I also learned that God wants me to be a good little boy and wants you to be a good little girl and gave us a giant book of do's and do nots called the Bible that teaches us how to follow all of the rules so that God might be happy with us. Now, of course, as a child, you don't understand the subtleties of morality and socio-historical cultural mores or anything like that. It's just a simple matter of right and wrong, yes and no, good and bad, evil and holy, us and them. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And whenever I was afraid as a child, I would close my eyes really hard and just say Jesus over and over and over again in my room. I had a lot of nightmares as a kid. I would just say Jesus, 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 because I was taught that the forces of evil would flee at the name of Jesus. And so you just said it enough times and you'd be okay. And that worked really well for me as a kid. But as I grew up, the problems in the world got more complicated. They got more pervasive. They got harsher. The bad thoughts got louder. The depression became an actual real reality. The news on TV got a little scarier as I understood what was happening. Tragedy struck closer to my family. God felt more like an absentee father than a good shepherd. And then my late teens and early 20s were marked by these periods of intense depression, of spiritual loneliness, of deadness, of an almost total deconstruction of all that I thought that I knew about God as I walk through the veil of death's shadow, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I feared everything. I feared losing my family. I feared losing my friends. I feared losing the entire world around me. If I admitted to anyone except for my deepest self that I wasn't a Christian anymore. I feared losing my own identity, my own sense of self. Without that grounding underneath of me, what was there? 
there was just 20 some years of falsehood. I was afraid that I was alone and that I was going to be alone. Like this was unusual for a person, right? Because I looked around and everyone else seemed to have this wonderful rock solid faith. They, uh, you know, they were out there preaching and teaching and hallelujah in church and everyone seemed so happy. Except I knew the darkness inside of me and I knew the struggles inside of me. And I assumed that, um, I was the only one going through that. I made that, that cardinal mistake in which I judge my insides against other people's outsides. When in reality, I'd learned many years later that everyone in those places were having similar struggles. But everyone in there also thought that they were the only ones having those struggles. And so nobody there would share those struggles with anyone else. But then I found a faith community, a somewhat rare faith community that not only allowed me to have questions and doubts and wonderings and um, things that verged on the edges of heresy or maybe um, smack dab in the middle of heresies, but actually encouraged that. They actually encouraged people to um, explore what faith actually meant to them. To be honest about the fact that those childhood faiths that we were handed no longer worked, whether because we learned too much, we found out about history and science or other religions, or we experienced some huge trauma and it just stopped working, that we could admit that we didn't have it all figured out. And over time, I started to feel more safe. I was able to stand back and take a more honest look at that early naive faith that I had. And there were parts of that early naive faith that didn't work anymore. You know, it's far too simple. It didn't acknowledge the darkness within me and within the world. But there were also parts of that faith that were important to me. That that deep devotional faith in a loving God, that love of scripture. I learned that I could transcend that old faith while also including the parts that still mattered to me. The road forward wasn't easy, but I know that God was with me. God's rod and staff, they consoled me. And eventually, over years of deconstruction and reconstruction and deconstruction and reconstruction and tearing down this and rebuilding that and finding that that's no good, and you know this, this cycle. After years of that, in an open and honest and welcoming community, I found myself in the third stage of the psalmist's journey. You set out a table before me in the face of my foes. See, because in this stage, you'll notice the enemies are still there. It doesn't say, you set a table for me along the graves of my enemy. <laughs> or in the abandoned wasteland that used to be my enemy's land before you took care of every single one of my problems. You prepare a table for me in the face of my foes. In this stage of life of faith, friends, my enemies are still there. My depression is still there, my fears, my trauma, my personal doubts, but I'm safe enough in my own identity 
as a child of God. My own personal spiritual connection to a God that I don't feel pressure to fully define and name. To have transcended the naive faith of my youth while including the joy. To have transcended the cynical deconstruction of my young adulthood while including the desire to fight for truth. To continue to move into new stages of life while transcending and including the old. Moving through the cycles of orientation, deorientation, reorientation, confident that I will emerge on the other side. Confident that goodness and mercy shall pursue me all along the way. Knowing that no matter what denomination or profession or belief system I find myself in, I will dwell in the house of the Lord for many long days. Because I am the house of the Lord. I am the dwelling place of the divine. And as long as I am authentically seeking truth, truth will find me. God will guide my steps no matter where those steps lead. And I wonder, friends, where you are on your journey right now. I wonder if you are in that simple, naive place that doesn't ask too many questions, that's content on the surface with uh, easy answers and, and mysteries? Are you currently in crisis trying to hold on to something as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Are you on the other side with a new faith that somehow integrated the old? And as much as I talk about this like a simple three-stage process, it is anything but simple. And it's probably way more than three stages as well. So we tend to bounce around in between them. Nature, life, consciousness, all of that defies clear-cut boundaries. We tend to live in the in-between, between things. So chances are you're straddling between multiple steps at once. But no matter where you are on your journey, I want you to know this. You are where you need to be. You are who you need to be. And I invite you to be honest with yourself. To find trustworthy people that you can be honest with as well. And I want to promise you that this is a community that will walk with you without judgment. As you learn to transcend that which you were. Include that which is still good in becoming who you are becoming to be. And know that above all else, the good shepherd who walks with you will never leave you all the days of your life.